Thank you, Jeff and musicians. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. We're working through uh, this letter that John wrote to Christians, and today we are in chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Our thoughts this morning center around evidence of salvation. I used an illustration last week, and I knew a man uh, years ago in the military who... Uh, I began to witness to, and uh, just to find out as he stopped me halfway through sharing the gospel, said, oh, I'm saved, I did all that. And I used him as an illustration to point out that just because somebody says that they have a relationship with God, uh, it really is corroborated by a lifestyle, by, by an evidence of God working in their life. Now, last week in uh, verses four to nine, we, John talked about being a child of God and really he compared and contrasted being a child of God with those who are lost who are technically children of Satan. Um, probably not popular or winning any friends when you say that, but the fact is it's true. You're either in the family of God or, or you are in the family of Satan. Now it's important when we talk about families, spiritually in particular, that we, that we make sure we understand clearly uh, in life, what you will hear people say. I have often heard people say, well, we are all children of God, and so God cares about all of us. Well, that is true to the extent that God created us all. Every human being was created by God. Every child that's born is created in the womb by God, and, and a, a new life is born, a new soul is created, and only God can do that. However, being in humanity, being a part of humanity, doesn't automatically put us in the family of God. Everybody understand that. In other words, spiritually, there are only two families in the world, and we talked about this last week. There is the family of God, and the people who are in the family of God are those who have, have come to the understanding of their sinful condition and have, by faith, confessed their sin to God and put their faith in Jesus Christ, asking for his forgiveness. Uh, the family of God consists of those who are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, those who have been forgiven of their sin, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and have been spiritually adopted into the family of God. Now, all those in the world who have not been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, all those in the world who have rejected the gospel or not come to a place where they've willingly accepted Jesus Christ, they're not in the family of God. In fact, the Bible, John says they are children of the devil. They're children of Satan because Satan rules over this world right now. Uh, until Jesus returns. So the point is this morning, for those who are watching online and those who will watch this later, and for you here this morning in the balcony down here, you're in one of two families. You're either in the family of God because you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, or you're not in the family of God, you're in the family of Satan. Maybe you should ask yourself which one you're in. You say, why is it so important that I know which family I'm in? Well, because it determines your eternal destiny. Those who are saved and those who are in the family of God will spend eternity with him. And those who are not saved and those who are not in the family of God will spend eternity separated from him in a, in a place of punishment and torment, the eternal lake of fire. Now, what John does in this passage is he says, there is evidence in the, in the Christian life that we are genuinely saved. There's evidence in the way we live that demonstrates outwardly the change, listen to me, the change that God has made on the inside. It is often the case that there's no change on the outside because there was no genuine change on the inside. And only God knows that. But the evidence, as Jesus said, you know the, the tree by the fruit that it bears. 
Uh, we used to go visit some folks in Georgia. Mama's whole family's from Georgia. That's where I was born. And uh, we would go to Georgia quite often, and they have pecan trees in Georgia. Pecan trees, however you want to say it. Pecans or pecans. And I have picked up a many a pecan in my life. Have you picked those things up? Well, we know it's a pecan tree. Why? Because those things are all over the ground around it, and they're hanging on it, and Mama would make us fill up buckets full of them to come back to Florida. And she said, you can't ride home until you pick up a bucket of pecans, so we better picking them up. The same is true spiritually. We can say we are in the family of God, but unless there's some evidence in the life, there's reason, there's reason to be concerned. John deals with that. Look at verses 10 to 12, and notice what John says here in 1 John chapter 3. Straight to the point, John says this, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is a message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. John begins this passage that we're examining here this morning by saying, the children of God and the children of the devil, or those who are lost, are manifest. Now the word manifest means visible, to make visible. It means to be able to see it, to understand it. And what John's saying is the spiritual condition of a person is manifest for others to see. In other words, there are, there are evidences in their life. A lost person, a person who has not come to faith in Jesus Christ, is going to live by worldview and by the flesh and by the things that the flesh desires because that's all they know. And before we were saved, that's the way we lived. But when we get saved, when we come to Jesus Christ, then God makes us a new creation on the inside. And because we're different on the inside and because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and there is the fruit of the Spirit at some degree being created in our lives, the outside will look different. How we live will look different. Now, what exactly is evidence? John said righteousness. Look at verse 10 again. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, made visible. And here it is. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his neighbor. Now, what kind of practical righteousness is John talking about here? Well, the practical righteousness is the fact that the Holy Spirit is conforming us to the image of Christ. Do we look like Jesus at all? Do we look like Jesus in any way? Is there any evidence that God's making a difference in us? Now, I understand we're not talking about perfectionism here. There are those who are errant in their views of the Christian life, and they, they teach that at some point Christians, because they're saved, become sinless in this life, and that's just not true. And you know that's not true practically, because each of us struggle with sin every day. It's not a perfectionism. It's a consistency, it's a habit, it's a pattern of life, it's a worldview. A worldview is the way you see life, it's how we interpret things. And when we get saved, we should be interpreting life through God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Which then leads credence to the reason you ought to understand the Bible. Because as you understand the truth, and you see error in the world, the truth speaks to your heart and the Holy Spirit says, that's not right and this is wrong. This is wrong, this is right, and you're able to discern, and thus it impacts our outward life. William Barclay said it this way, and I quote, John's not setting before us a terrifying perfectionism, but he is demanding a life, listen to this, which is always on the watch against sin, 
a life in which sin is not the normal accepted way, but the abnormal moment of defeat. That's the Christian life. That's what ought to be seen in our lives. Now this gets, this gets difficult, makes people uncomfortable. But I, listen, the Bible is very clear, and I'm here to declare to you this morning, if you claim that you know Jesus Christ, and there's never been a change in your, in your heart about the conviction over sin, there's never been a change in your life about the way you feel about sin, and about righteousness and unrighteousness and holiness and unholiness and obedience and disobedience, then perhaps it's an opportunity for you this morning to do a little self-examination, do a little self-test and make sure you're in the faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 13, 15. He said, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith or not. Examine yourselves. You say, how do I examine myself? Well, measure yourself and we measure ourselves against what John said here, you see, to be lost is to live in darkness. And to live in darkness is to evidence that in life of darkness, of unrighteousness. To be saved, there should be some level, some corroboration, if you will, of righteousness in the life, as John said here. Those who are saved are moved to righteousness and those who are not saved. You say, well, what does this righteousness look like? Well, John's going to define it for us, but I'll give you some quick ones. In, in Jesus Christ, if he changes us on the inside, we should have a love for his word, a love for his word. I don't know about you, but I can never get enough of reading the Bible. I can never get enough of, of understanding the Bible and having God teach me from the Bible. I'm never satisfied with how much I learn, knowing that I need to learn the rest of my life. Is that passion in your heart? How about this? How about the fact that I never get tired of God's church? I never get tired of fellowship with God's people, of being with them and fellowshipping with them and praying for them. I never get tired of praying. In fact, the closer I get to God, the more I know I need to pray. And the more I read the Bible, the more I know I need to pray. Are these things evidence in your life? How about, how about practically when you go out into the world, in your heart, in your flesh, the, the sinfulness of our human nature draws us to sin. Is there, is there a repulsion to that? Is there a conviction in your heart that says, hey, I should stay away from these things. I should not talk like that and I shouldn't think like that because it's contrary to the nature of my God. Are these convictions in our hearts that I shouldn't, that I shouldn't allow these things into my life? You can ask yourself those questions. You know you better than anybody else. Is that where your heart is? John says to us that righteousness can be defined. Look at verse 10 again. He says in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, made visible. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. There's the key. John says the most evident, the most evident part of righteousness that can be manifest to the world is love. Now we're not talking about a, a sappy emotional love or, or a phileo love where it's brotherly or reciprocal love where we say, well, you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Mm -mm. We're talking about God's kind of love here. We're talking about an agape love. We're talking about a love that enables us to care about people that we don't like. Anybody in your life that just irritates you? 
Everybody that you know that bugs you, here's an evidence that you really know Jesus. If you really know Jesus, you're going to look beyond the irritation of that person and you're going to love them because Jesus loves them. And you're going to care about them because Jesus cares about them. And you're going to care about them because you represent Jesus in this world. You all know this for a long time. I got a neighbor who don't like me. That makes life fun, doesn't it, if you have a neighbor that don't like you? She's yelled at me before from her yard, in my yard. She called me a fake preacher one time. That's way better. But you know, I really care about them. You know why? Because they're lost. They're lost. Both of them are lost, her and her husband. And I've witnessed to her dad. Her dad comes over there sometimes, and I've stood out in the road, and I've shared the gospel with them. You know why I do that? Because the man needs to be saved. And if he were to get saved, it might influence his daughter to stop being so mean and get saved. It might influence her husband. You know how you know that God's made a difference in your life? Because you care about people that you don't like. Now, I'm just going to be honest. Do you like people yelling at you? I don't like people yelling at me. I don't like people being mean to me. I don't like them being mean to my kids or my wife. But you know what John said right here? He said, listen, he who loves his brother. Now, it isn't just Christians that we love. It isn't just in the family of Christ that we love. It is looking at a lost world and knowing in your heart that they need Jesus. I shared this in our Bible study Wednesday night. <clears throat> Y'all don't have to raise your hands. Think in your mind, how many of y'all know who Charlie Watts is? He's a drummer for Rolling Stones. You say, Pastor, how do you know that stuff? Well, I know a lot of stuff. Probably that I shouldn't know. But Charlie Watts is a drummer for Rolling Stones. He died last week, 80 years old. And you know what? When I saw that on the news, my heart was heavy for a couple of reasons. One, great musician. The world's going to be less because a great musician's gone. But my heart was also heavy because there was no evidence ever in his life that he ever accepted Christ, that he was ever saved. Now, I don't know, maybe if he was, amen, I see him in heaven. No evidence, though, in his life of ever having a testimony that he knew Jesus. And you know why it made my heart heavy? Because here's this man who had all the renown in this life and money and fame and great musician. I mean, everybody knows who the Rolling Stones are. I mean, you know, in the moment he died without Jesus, he went to hell. All that he had in life is all gone. All that, all that mattered, all that he thought was a constant, all gone. Does that bother you? Because if it bothers you, there's an evidence that you know Jesus. There's an evidence that you care about people. Friends and neighbors and people around you. John said, listen, if you love your brother, Jesus said this in John 13, 35. By this all will know that you're my disciples. Why? if you love one another. You know why? Because the world's gonna look at us and go, why do they like one another like that? Why do they care about one another? Why do they pray for one another? Why do they minister to one another? Ah, because we're in Jesus. And it's a demonstration of the righteousness of Christ in our lives. Now John gives an example here of love. After he defines righteousness as most exemplary in love, he says, let me give you a negative example of what not to be. Look at verses 11 and 12 of 1 John 3. 
He said, for this is a message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Well, from what beginning? Well, pick one. From the beginning of creation, from the beginning of the gospel, from it's God is love, so his whole message to the world is I love you. He spared us through the flood. He brought Noah and Shem and Ham and Jepheth. And he's, listen, he sent Jesus. He raised up the Jewish nation, sent Jesus. God is love. But here's a negative example. Look at verse 12. Don't love like Cain, not as Cain, who was the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, let's, he takes us all the way back to Genesis. Cain and Abel were the first two boys of Adam and Eve, the first generation, if you will, after creation. And John uses Cain as an example because what did Cain do? Committed the first murder, right? He murdered his brother, uh, Abel. And why did he do that? Well, let me read it to you. Take a moment and look at Genesis 4, verses 3 and 5, and you can see it on the screen up here. Now listen to what it says about these two boys. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock, of his flock and of their fat. Now look at this. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. In other words, God received it. It was acceptable before God. But in verse 5, he did not respect Cain and his offering. And look at Cain's response. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. We don't know what the problem was with Cain. We know that Abel was a righteous man and we know that Cain was not. And so I would presume that when God had told Adam and Eve, listen, because you sinned and here's how you have to approach me, now you have to bring an offering to approach me because you're sinful and there is to be a blood sacrifice to cover the sin, uh, picturing the coming of Jesus, that Cain and Abel brought their offerings as they had been taught to do and Abel brought his animal and presented it to God and it was acceptable and Cain brought his offering of the ground and it was not acceptable to God. Now I don't believe as some commentators say that Cain was rejected because it was a fruit of the ground because there are offerings of the fruit of the ground in the, in the law to Israel. The problem with offerings is always in the heart, not, not on the outside. So what we do know here is this, that, that Abel brought an offering to God with a right heart. And what does it mean to have a right heart? It means he was, he, he was aware of his sin and he recognized it and he confessed and he brought his offering to God and it was acceptable to God. Cain, on the other hand, apparently brought his offering and didn't deal with the sin issue with God. And so his offering, his heart was wrong when he brought the offering and thus God rejected his offering. Now notice this, rather than be angry with himself for his sin, watch this, rather than Cain be a big boy and say, well, you know, my sin is my sin and, and it's my problem that the offering is acceptable. He got mad at his brother. Does that make sense? It makes no sense, does it? In other words, Cain messed up his offering with his heart and he's angry at his brother because his brother's right. Look at verses six and seven of Genesis four. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? There's the question. Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Now look what God told him in verse seven. If you do well, you will, not, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you deal with the sin in your life and bring your offering, will I not accept you? And the answer is yes, certainly I will. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and it's desires for you, but you should rule over it. In other words, you should come and deal with the sin issue and not let it rule your life. Now here's the point. Cain 
is an example of not loving. Cain is an example of unrighteousness. Rather than loving his brother and being righteous, he hated his brother because his brother was righteous. And what happened in verse eight? Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Because of Cain's sin and his anger against his brother, he rose up and committed the first murder in the world in the very first generation after creation. Now think about this for a minute. Righteousness then is predominantly the way we love people. It is our God-given attitude toward other people in life. Because Cain was not righteous, he didn't love. Because Cain wasn't righteous, he didn't love his brother. Because Cain wasn't righteous, he killed his brother. Now watch this connection. Unrighteousness and the failure to love is always connected with murder in the heart, which is unrighteousness. Jesus said in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said before that you shall not commit murder. And then Jesus won't say, but I tell you that if you are angry with your brother without a cause, you've committed murder already in your heart. So you see the connection? John is saying that, look, righteousness is most demonstrated in loving and caring about other people. Now, how does that manifest itself in life? Well, it manifests itself in life by being kind to other people, being just, being merciful, being encouraging to other people, not discouraging, not taking advantage of those whom we can take advantage of, not abusing other people, not abusing our positions in life, caring about other people, loving them in the name of Jesus, that's what love looks like. That's what righteousness looks like. Now watch this. You say, well, isn't righteousness, pastor, connected to a whole bunch of other sins in the Bible that says not do, you know, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't fornicate, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Watch this. You won't do any of those things to another person if you love them. You won't do any of those things. To another, you, won't, you, won't, you won't have a relationship with another man's wife or another woman's husband if you love them and you care about them, you won't hurt them. You won't hurt them. Why? Because righteousness loves people. You see the connection? You know why you'll share the gospel with people in your life? Because you love them in Jesus. Because you care about them. You won't lie to somebody because you love them. Because you care about them. You won't cheat somebody because you care about them and you love them. You won't take their money. You won't take what belongs to them. You won't steal from them. You won't hurt them. Why? Because you love them and you care about them. So righteousness is most fully expressed, John's saying, in love, in loving people. Now let's deal with this very quickly. In the case of Cain and Abel, why is there so much animosity between light and darkness? Why, why is it that in this world, righteousness is often attacked by the unrighteous? Why is it that a Cain would kill an Abel because his offering was rejected and his brother's was accepted. Look what John says in verses 13 to 15. He says, do not marvel, my brother. In other words, don't be surprised if the world hates you. And then here's what we know. He says in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brother. And there it is again. We know that we're saved. The evidence in our life that we're saved is because we love the brother. He who does not love his brother abides in death, is lost. 
Now verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Is there anything ambiguous about what John just said right there? I mean, it's kind of hard to take sometimes, but it's true. He said, listen, we know that we're saved because love abides in us. If we hate our brother, then we know that we're not saved because love does not abide in us and no murderer has eternal life. Now, why does the world and why do people respond so negatively to Christians and to Christianity? Why does light and darkness have such animosity? And it's very simple. When the world or lost men and women see the righteousness of a saved person, it convicts them. It convicts them. Now, they won't admit that it convicts them, but it irritates them. It's an irritant, kind of like a, a burr under the saddle blanket. They don't like the conviction. They don't like to see the righteousness because it reminds them of their unrighteousness. They don't like to see the love because it reminds them of how unloving they are. They don't like to see the blessings of the person who's saved because it reminds them of the difficulties they have in their own life because of their sin. It irritates them. And so there is this animosity. That's why Cain killed Abel, because his brother's righteousness irritated him. His brother's righteousness offended him. The fact that his brother's offering was received and his was not caused him to rise up and kill his brother. That was the whole reason. The world today, when you go to work or you go to school, and you walk righteously, and you're a man or woman of integrity, and God's the, God's the author of your life and directs all that you do, and the Holy Spirit's producing the fruit of the Spirit in you, the world around you is convicted. They're convicted. They see your life, and it reveals to them, the light shines in the darkness and reveals to them their own need of salvation. And unless they're willing to come to Christ, they're just not going to like you. They're not going to want to be around you. They're not going to invite you to go with them. They're going to ostracize you, and they're going to put you out. I'll tell you an experiment if you want to have a good time. Live in the military for Jesus and see what happens. Live for 20 years in the military, walking with Jesus, and see how people treat you. Because the, the military in the day I was in was not necessarily known for its righteousness, okay? But just try it. Try it in your workplace. You know why most Christians won't stand up and let their testimony shine? Because they don't want to suffer the abuse. They don't want to be ostracized, and they don't want to have people be mad at them and cast them out. Well, I just give you a little word of advice, and my wife can, can, uh, can confirm this. I don't care if people like me or not. I really don't. Now, I know y'all love me, and I appreciate that, and I love you. But I really don't care if the world likes me or not. Uh, you know, listen, is this true in your life? There's one person that I really want to make happy and he don't live here, he's in heaven. And so as long as Jesus is happy with what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and what I'm saying and how I'm living, really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, you know what I mean? In fact, in fact, here's what I'm living for and I hope you're living for it. I'm gonna stand in front of Jesus one day and so are you. And you know what I wanna hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. It won't matter what anybody else thinks. It won't matter who liked me. My neighbor, listen, my neighbor isn't going to change my life one iota. She isn't going to change my eternal destiny. She's just going to get hoarse yelling at me. So it, it, it ain't going to matter. So listen, let me encourage you this. John said, 
John said, loving people and living out righteousness is a, is a demonstration of, of truly being saved. Do you have that evidence in your life? You say, well, pastor, I'm, a, I'm afraid, you know, I'm afraid at, you know, what people will say if I, if I, if I take a stand. Oh, listen, you can speak the truth in love, but you gotta speak up. You gotta say, no, listen, I understand why you see life that way, but it's wrong. It's wrong. Let me, let me tell you why it's wrong. And you can lovingly stand and take a stand for Jesus Christ. Take a stand for your faith. And you can do it in love, but love people enough to tell them the truth. You know what, if you really love somebody, you're gonna tell them the truth because they need it. You're not gonna, not gonna let them continue on the road of destruction. Tell them the truth. One writer said this, the wicked envy the good, the blessedness of their goodness and try to destroy what they cannot share. Well, that's a good quote. The world is angry with Christians. They're angry with us. I read somewhere recently they want to put us, us radical evangelicals on the terrorist list, like we're, we're bad news, man. Well, okay, put me on whatever list you want to put me on. That's all right, I don't care. Uh, I, the list that matters, I'm on Jesus' list. So you put me on whatever list you want to be on, okay? But I'm in the book of life, and so I'm good. Let me, let me wrap it up with this. What can we know? What can we know as Christians? Well, number one, Love is the evidence of genuine salvation. Not some list of things that you do and you don't do, but a changed heart. So if I were to go around to each of you this morning and say, man, tell me, are you, do you really know Jesus? The evidence should already be in your life. In other words, you say, yeah, God changed me on the inside and I, and I love people and I love caring for God's people and I love those who need to be saved. Even though they don't love us back, I love them because God loves them. And we don't retaliate in anger. That's Jesus. So we know that love demonstrates that we're really saved, that we care about the lost. We care about the brethren. We care about the word of God. We care about his church. We care about the things that God cares about. Is that evidence in your life? Do you see it in your life? If not, listen, if not, you really need to do an examination of your heart. Are you really saved? Those watching online, are you really saved? It's easy to say I'm a Christian and do nothing. It's easy to say I'm a Christian and have no evidence in your life, but has God really made a difference in who you are? Secondly, the absence of love indicates that a person really never really knew Jesus. We just talked about that. And thirdly, hating is synonymous with murder. Hating is synonymous with murder. I had to come to terms with this some years back. There was a fellow in the military who... Uh, had become one of my arch enemies, if you want to put it that way. And uh, here's how God works with a long story. I had met this guy when I was early in the military. I was enlisted when I first went in and he and I were in school together and he was, he was bad news. He was, uh, he was bad news. And he and I didn't get along very good. And uh, so I was glad when I didn't have to see him anymore. And he had, he had uh, hurt me one day, did something to me that I, that I really held a grudge about. And so for a long time, I just would never forget what this guy did to me. And this is how God works. All throughout my Navy career, I kept running into this guy. Like he would be where I was. Like I would go somewhere and there he was. 
and I'd have to look at him again, right? And I'd see him. And so God, God was really working on me about, you know, you really need to. And then, and then I thought, well, I went, I went to OCS and got commissioned, and guess what he did? He did too. And next thing you know, we're officers together. I'm like, Lord, what in the world? This, can I not get away from this guy? And uh, so finally, and I even told my wife about him. I said, let me tell you what this sorry rascal did. And I, you know, I told her. And eventually, no kid, my friend in Kentucky, who's one of my best friends, I'm talking to him one day, he goes, hey, let me introduce you to my friend. And it's this guy. <laughs> Again. So my friend says, let me introduce you to my friend. And it's this guy. So when you love, you have to forgive and you have to love even the people who hurt you. And so I had to, I had to ask God to forgive me. And this guy, this guy had changed. He had grown up and matured. And, and so it's all good. And, and, you know, we hugged it out and we were, we're all good. All right. So, but hating is synonymous with murder. So when I held a grudge in my heart against this guy, according to the Bible, same as murder, right? Same as, same as hating him. And finally, John says here, notice what he said at the end, no murderer has a place in heaven. No murderer has a place in heaven. So if that's, if, that's our, if that's our passion about people that we hate, that we hate people, then we really need to examine our, our salvation. Where are you at this morning? The evidence of genuine salvation is love. Listen, we're human, and I have to love people that I won't necessarily like. And listen, the Bible doesn't say I got to like them. It just says I love them. And I love them in spite of whether they're nice or not. I love them in spite of, and, and love, God's love is a choice. It isn't an emotion. So I choose to love people that in my flesh I might not otherwise choose to love, just to be transparent. Because some people are hard to love, right? Can we agree with that? I mean, they're, they're mean and they're ugly and they, and, they, and they hurt your feelings and they make you mad. But Jesus loved me when I made him mad. Jesus loved me when I offended him. Jesus loved me and my sin and all that I did. So how can I not love somebody else who, who offends me? So where are you at this morning? The evidence of truly being saved, the righteousness in our life starts with loving people. Can you say that's true in your life? Can you see the evidence in your life? Can you, can you see the fruit of the Spirit? Or is your life bearing the fruit of righteousness? If not, if not, if you have any doubts, would you pray to receive Jesus right now? Would you confess to God, God, I don't see the love in my life that I should have and I want it. God, change me on the inside so that I can love people like you love me. Would you do that this morning? Let's pray. Father, what a valuable lesson from your word today. God, that righteousness, righteousness begins with love. And God, if we love you, and we love people, then we won't do all the things that hurt people. We won't lie and steal and cheat and be immoral and, and unkind. And all the things that we list as unrighteousness, Lord, all really begins with a lack of love. Lord, if that's where we are today in our heart in any way, forgive us, God, and help us. Help us to love as you have loved us. I pray for the man or woman, young person, boy or girl that might be here today. God, maybe as they examine their own hardest, Paul said we should examine ourselves and make sure that we're in the faith. God, I pray right now you might touch them. And Lord, may they just come before you, a lot like Cain, but like Abel, Lord, with a, with a repentant heart and say, Lord, receive me as I am. God, forgive my sin. Save me. Make me different on the inside.
God, you'll save anybody who asks. God, help us as Christians to love one another, to pray for one another, to build one another up and do the things that edify and build up the church. God, move in the hearts today, in our hearts. God, change us as we need to be changed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing a verse. I'll be down front. If you have questions or you're not sure you're saved, would you come and let us help you today? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. service today. Good crowd. Let me invite you back tonight. Um, uh, this evening we have Awana and then uh, at six o'clock we're going to have Bible study here. Uh, we're going to start a new series tonight. We finished the book of Psalms last Sunday night. If you missed any of that series, it's online. Uh, but we're going to begin a, a short series tonight on the ministry of Jesus and things he did in his ministry that are very interesting for us to understand. And so we're going to begin that tonight in John chapter nine. So let me invite you back be a part of that. Anything else? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, the time together, Lord. Uh, Lord, may we be hearers of the word and not only hearers, but doers as well. Lord, may we take it out and live it out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.